<laughs> we do want. I do want to say thank you, though, in all seriousness, uh, for your um, for your love and for your welcomeness over these. Uh, this past week has been exciting for us. It's been, uh, I was talking with Jason before service. He said, you know, it's probably like the first week. You feel like you're drinking from a fire hose of information at one point and then kind of sitting around wondering what to do next the next moment. And, and that very much kind of captures the last four or five days here uh, where I've, where at times I'm like, oh my goodness, there's so much to learn and so much to discover and so many relationships and people to meet. And, and other times I'm, how do I get my email to get work, to work? And, uh, and so... Uh, it's been fun to be able to be here uh, and just to hear some of the stories and to interact with different people and be a part of some meetings where uh, we've talk, already been, begun conversations about where, uh, where God is leading Thornhill in the future here. Uh, I also do want to say a couple of things. First of all, I just want to give you, it's been, it's been about three months since, since we met, and, uh, and so a lot has transpired, obviously, for us, and, and so I want to thank you for your prayers. Uh, thank you for, also for your invitation to, to serve here. This has been, uh, it's been a, a, a huge journey for us as a family. <clears throat> when, uh, we made, when we made the decision to, to say yes to Thornhill and the invitation, the call to come here, um, it wasn't an easy decision, I'll be honest. It was, it was challenging. We, um, we wrestled through it, and we prayed, and we considered what, is the, what does God want for us? What is, how, how can we be faithful to, to where God wants us to be? And, and when we finally made the decision to, to say yes to Thornhill, the next hardest part was telling our kids. And, uh, and that was, as a, as a parent, that was probably the hardest conversation I've ever had with my kids. And, uh, and it, was, it was heartbreaking, really. And uh, telling them that they're, they're the friends that they've known for, for their whole lives that they're going to have to say goodbye to. And, but we, but one of the, one of the motivators for us as a family was that we said, we, we want this to be not just a faith decision for, for me coming to a new church, but we want it to be a faith decision for our whole family. And, and so uh, any moment that we as a family were feeling anxious, any moment where an individual was feeling anxious or uncertain about what the future was going to look like, we just said, okay, we're going to pray and we're going to just trust that God is going to provide. And, and it has been, I can't tell you the number of times where, where God has shown up in significant ways, uh, where, where we've, we've prayed for providence, we prayed that God would provide, and he provides, but it's not just like basic provision, it is like abundance of provision. Um, give you an example, uh, one of our prayers for, for our daughter, uh, Abigail, uh, was, as she was leaving her friends, was, uh, God, would you just give her a good friend, just one friend is all we ask. And, and earlier this week, we had like eight kids show up at our door one night and said, can we play with the two older kids? And, and so it wasn't just one kid. It was like a community of kids that God provided. And, and then the next day, the next day, we had uh, the, four, four, the same girls, but there was four girls this time showed up and they had a little container of cookies. And they said, can we give this to you guys? And it was just amazing how to see God at work and to see how um, that we just provided. Um, this summer, typically, I wasn't expecting to be this emotional, but uh, um, this summer, 
typically for, for, for me is fairly, most summers are typically kind of opportunities to refresh and kind of get my feet back underneath me after a long ministry year. Uh, that hasn't been the case this year. <laughs> um, I, I spoke at a camp at Southern Alberta Bible Camp in the first week of July. Uh, and then we were, my family and I, we were invited to Camp Caroline for a week. And we just got, that was kind of our week where we just got to hang out and just be present with each other. And, and in the midst of 200, 10, 11, 12 year old kids, um, which, was, it was, which was loud, but it was refreshing. Uh, and then, and then uh, my last, last days at, at Park Meadows and Lethbridge was the end of July. And, and so we've had th- three weeks away from, from ministry, but it wasn't like, you know, we just kind of sat around enjoying life. It was, you know, packing boxes and moving. And, and so we've been in Calgary now for about a week and a half, and we've got a, just a ton of stuff. We've got so much stuff that we need to deal with. And, and, and so people have asked, are you settled in? We're in, but we're not settled. So we're, uh, we're getting there. But I want to say thank you as well for your prayers. Uh, we, have, we have felt those, and, and it has been an amazing gift for us to know that, that you as a church uh, have been praying for us, and, and so, so thank you. Um, this morning, I, I want to spend some time exploring and talking about a passage from John chapter 17, which in a lot of ways is, is really this fascinating chapter because it's, it's actually, it's literally moments before Jesus is betrayed by Judas and where Jesus is going to be taken on, put on trial and where he'll eventually be murdered. And in this chapter, there's this deep sense of fulfillment that comes out of this chapter where, where Jesus has acknowledged his purpose where he's prayed for purity and for future followers. He's, he's prayed for protection for the disciples that he's currently hanging around with. But then, he, but then in this chapter, he also leaves the responsibility about sharing the glory of God with us. And I find it remarkable that this is where Jesus' heart was at, knowing that hours away from his murder, that he thought of us, that he thought of our, our world that he thought of the reality that what this world might look like if they don't know and hear about the message of Jesus. And it's in this prayer that Jesus draws our attention first to remember the glory of God, but then to be unified within that glory, but then to make sure that the world knows who has called and sent us to show off and declare that glory. And I find it interesting that the last thing that Jesus prays are probably some of the things that the church struggles with the most. Unity and loving others. The church has a long history of struggling with some of those things. And so this morning, I want to spend, some, spend a couple of minutes talking about this idea of unity. Because if Jesus spent his last hours praying that Thornhill Baptist Church and the family of believers around the world throughout history would be unified, then it's probably worth spending some time on. Earlier this year, my wife Natalie and I, we, uh, we received an email from some friends of ours, and they were part of our small group that we were, while we were serving at a church in Calgary 10 years ago, they were part of our small group. And, and shortly after we moved to Lethbridge, they, they moved to Romania as missionaries, them and their three kids. Now, I know that many of you have went to Romania this past summer. Uh, you don't know them. They, uh, they're not connected with the ministry that, that you are a part of. But they, over, the, over the nine years that, that they had been in Romania, they, they would send us emails and they'd send their supporters emails and just saying, hey, this is what's happening here in Romania in our ministry. Here's how you can pray for us uh, and, and just giving updates on what's going on. Now, in this particular email that they sent this year, though, it had a different tone to it. 
It was different. It was, it was heavier. It was, it was more personal. And in this email, he shared about the challenges that he faced while in ministry. How difficult it was to remain faithful to God's call when people just seemed so hardened and disinterested in, in the message of Jesus in and outside of the church. And he shared how he and his family were actually going to be moving back to Alberta because they just felt burned out and they felt broken and hurt, hurting and disappointed and, and angry. Unfortunately, many of us probably know stories of people who have been hurt and wounded by the church. Maybe you're one of them. And the Christian church has developed this reputation over the years as being this institution that seems to struggle with what the church was first envisioned to be. And the truth is, as churches, it's, easy, it's really easy to get distracted from our first priority. A healthy Christian church needs to be rooted in Jesus. No question. That is a non-negotiable. We have to be all about Jesus. That everything that the church does is to work out God's plan and purpose within this world. My hope, my prayer, is that as, Je as we pursue Jesus together, that we might actually begin to fulfill what Jesus prayed for in this passage. That we will be this growing community where Jesus' worship and the gospel of his saving grace is proclaimed. Where the presence of the Holy Spirit is felt and brings us passionate love for God and, all, and for all who come. But the tension that exists within all great ideas within the church is, yeah, good idea, but how are we going to do it? The reality is, is that each one of us come with varying degrees of temperaments. Each one of us come with different cultural and family backgrounds. And we all certainly have varying interests and convictions that we believe are important. We also have varying degrees of what we think the church should look like and how it should be run. We have no shortage of opinions and perspectives within our church body. That's okay. The reality is the church exists because you are a part of it. The church is intended to allow for relationship. It's designed that way. To be a place where we would interact with each other, where we would share with each other, where we would collaborate with each other. We would celebrate those times when there's opportunities worth celebrating. Where we would come alongside of one another, where we would nurture each other, where we would mourn with one another as well. And the church is, this, is intended to be this mosaic of people where we bring our collection of experiences and share them with each other. And as we do that with each other, we create this sense of a community that's actually very similar to, to what we would probably describe as family. So I want to do a really quick exercise. One of you guys have really nice printing. None of you. No, no one is nice. Okay, you're leaving it up to me. You, you are? Awesome. Tell me your name. Jenna. Jenna is going to be my, my scribe. Okay. So what I need from you, though, is I need, you, I need some interaction. As you think of your family, immediate or extended, what's one word that comes to mind? And Jenna's going to write it down. Love. Love. Trust. Sorry, I heard, oh. Fun. Fun. I, I think I heard fear. Fear, F-E-A-R. Fear. Care. Care, sorry. Fear, could have, it could be, I think. <laughs> <laughs> sorry? 
Respect. Yeah. Dysfunctional. Dysfunctional. <laughs> Thanks for your honesty. History. Sorry? History. History. Hmm. Faithful. Faithful. How's it going over there, Jenna? Are you keeping up? Okay, we're at dysfunctional, so we're, we're going to have to slow down just for Jenna's sake. History, and I heard another one. Faithful. Help. Healthy. Yeah, good one. Okay, that's good. Thank you for your, for your willingness to engage in that particular exercise. I would suggest that many of the words that we might use to describe our families, that we could probably replace the word family with Church and it would still fit some of those descriptions. Truth is, if your family's like mine, there's probably a lot of laughter and stories where people might share openly. Probably at times, there's probably some yelling and arguing as well. But hopefully in the midst of that, there's probably, hopefully there's a lot of love and a lot of prayer and a lot of Jesus too. I think the church can be like that. Where we may not always agree with each other, but we can, be, we can agree to be rooted in Christ and rooted in love for one another. The church doesn't exist without people. In the same way, families don't exist without people. Both of them were designed and intended by God to be a community where people can discover more about themselves, more about others, and ultimately more about God. We actually bring our experiences and our passions and our convictions and allow them to contribute to community the way God intended it to be. Diversity isn't meant to be this obstacle, but it actually can be a blessing. So this morning, can I suggest that one of the largest contributors to community can be you? Can I also suggest that one of the largest obstacles to community can also be you? So this morning, as we look around this sanctuary, we acknowledge that there are going to be differences of opinions. God designed it that way. God actually wants it that way. It's okay to acknowledge that we may have different positions on any number of topics within the church. And as a church family, we experience unity when we can celebrate those differences and diversity within the body of Christ. None of us have a monopoly on always being right. So let's discover God's truth together. Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, I think, gives us some really great ideas and, and thoughts in terms of how, what kind of position, what kind of posture we can put ourselves into to make sure that we are growing together. Paul writes this, says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Two of the most effective ways, I think, that we can experience, how we can practice, how we can discover what unity is as a church, is through our humility and through our gratitude putting others ahead of ourselves and being grateful for others are two ways that we can contribute to unity within the body of Christ. How we can begin to share vulnerably 
our struggles with each other and invite prayer into each other's lives. How we can maybe come alongside of someone and just gently encourage them and gently offer a word of prayer. Maybe a word from God. I said earlier that my family and I, we went to Camp Caroline. And I was, one of the things, one of my first observations while we were there was, um, we were there for, we'd only been there, we got there Sunday night. By Monday night, I, I made this observation to Natalie. I said, you know, it is, it is noticeable the, the culture that, is, that, is, that God has, that, that they have created at, at Camp Caroline, where there was just a number of people, of staff members, who were just praying for each other. And I, and I would see it, I think I saw it within 24 hours, there must have been six different staff members praying for each other. Which is, when you, with the busyness of camp, that's, that's pretty uncommon. And, and I think it speaks to the level of willingness to, to share, the other, share, share the struggles that you might be facing, where you're vulnerable enough to say, you know what, can you pray for me? I'm just struggling right now. Or the sensitivity to come alongside of and say, hey, how can I encourage you today? How can I, what can I pray for you today? The revelation of God's glory is rooted in relationship. Verse 24, Jesus says, I desire that you have given to me. Be with me where I am, so that you may see my glory which you have given me. Before Jesus, God's glory didn't have a face or a name. Before Jesus, there was literally centuries of stories and teachings, experiences that affirmed the existence and character and work of God. Where every year Jewish families would gather around the supper table and share the story of how God had passed over the doors painted with blood that led to their freedom from slavery in Egypt. Where people would see the memorial stones piled in the Jordan River and the stories of God's faithfulness would be shared about their wandering and, and, they would, and they, those stories would be passed down through the generations. Where generations would see God rise up godly leaders, kings and prophets that would lead the nation into repentance. Where the stories of their history would be passed down through oral tradition. Stories like Jonah and the whale, David killing Goliath, the ten plagues, the commandments, the flood, the exiles and their return. And there was so much history that was shared that pointed them back to the glory of God. And then there was silence. 400 years silence. And then a baby was born. This baby isn't the one you're thinking of. This baby's name is John. The last old covenant prophet comes and begins to declare and shares this, this, this share that, that there's a man coming, there's a Messiah coming who's going to change everything. That the glory of God that they once knew is, is actually not, isn't, isn't just a, a thing anymore, it's actually a person. And he's, going, he's coming in the form of a Messiah. And then his cousin shows up. And we read in, ver, in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We read in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The word radiance that, that, that's in, the, in this passage in Hebrews, is, in the Greek, is, is uh, apaugasma. It just simply means reflects the majesty of God. So let me read that again. The sun is the reflection of the majesty of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. 
John 17, 5, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. The glory of God. John Piper, one of the great theologians of our day, described God's glory as God's public display of his infinite beauty and worth. That word is often used to describe God's glory as a Hebrew word that we sometimes hear is the word Shekinah. Shekinah glory, which simply means God's glory which dwells among us. It's God's glory that unites us because our hearts are united with the relational presence of God through Jesus Christ, the glory of God revealed. This prayer from Jesus is significant, not just for its overt nature within his words, but also the covert nature too. You see, this prayer Jesus is making is he's, is he's shifting the theological understanding of God's glory. He's shifting the mindset from an old covenant mindset of God's glory being revealed in a cloud or fire or wind or the Ark of the Covenant or the Holy of Holies. And he's shifting the focus of God's presence from a where to a who. We see in John 1 that God's glory became flesh and walked among us, interacted with us, experienced what we experienced, and revealed God's infinite beauty and worth through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what makes the birth of Christ so incredible. Because for several hundred years, there was this understanding, this teaching, this belief that the glory of God would come and that he would be the Messiah. And then he arrives. And as this relational presence of God's glory made accessible to everyone, Jews and Gentiles, the least and the lost, everything divine, everything holy, everything perfect, everything beautiful, everything majestic are made public in this Messiah. And it's through Jesus that the glory of God unifies us through the Holy Spirit at work in us and, th and through us. Through Jesus, we know that we can come short of the glory of God. But Jesus, through his redemptive work, also extends his grace to each of us so that we might know and experience God's glory in a personal way and experience salvation through him. So as we receive it, we can begin to offer it to others. We actually fulfill God's prayer, Jesus' prayer in John 17, when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and the public display of God's infinite beauty and worth, his glory. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and burden is light. That word yoke is the term that, that was used to describe the type of teachings that rabbis would have. When they taught, that was, that was simply, what they taught was just simply known as their yoke. So when Jesus is taught, it's not just a, a term that we would use for, for horses and, and for cat, pulling cattle, but it was also the term that, that was used for teaching, that rabbis would describe their teaching. Jesus recognizes that, that we are all going to look and talk and smell and feel differently, but that we can be equally yoked with Jesus. I want to do another quick exercise. Jenna, can you come on up again? Can you, can you erase those for me? As we think about the characteristics of God, if I asked you, describe God in a word, just one word, what would you say? Shout them out again. Jenna's going to write them down for us. Love. I heard like six of those. Okay. Eternal. Eternal. Yeah. Sorry. Holy. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. We got, she's, you're going to burn a, we're going to burn a hole in that marker there. Loving. Good. Interesting. Sorry? Everlasting. 
Almighty. You have to choose shorter words. <laughs> I think I heard faithful. Faithful. Did you get that one, Jenna? Working on it? Just. Relational, yeah. Forgiving. Did we miss any, anything? Father. Father. That's great. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you for, your, for humoring me on this exercise as well. I think if we, if we wanted to, we could go on and on and on. That's part of what makes up God who he is. We could spend all of eternity describing the characteristics of God, and actually what you've just done is just that for, took place a form of communal prayer, where we've acknowledged that, that God is, is all of these things. We've, we've, gave, gave, we've expressed our praise for those things. We've declared that these are truths that we know about God. These are part of what makes up God who he is. These characteristics, though, are what make up his, his glory, his beauty, his character, his splendor, and his worth, all revealed to us in some of these things. Can I suggest that everyone in this church would probably agree with those descriptions of, of God? That we can be unified under who we believe Jesus to be, the, the yoke of Jesus. That we can be unified under the character of God, that we can be unified because of his glory revealed to us. The glory of God is, is a universal truth that regardless of your culture, regardless of your gender, regardless of your financial position, your race, the glory of God remains true for you and it remains true for me because he's unchanging. Jesus, the glory of God is Jesus. The Old Testament points us towards him. The gospels are centered around him. The remaining 23 books of the New Testament point back to him and say this is how we do it. It all centers around Jesus and the, his glory going public. It unites us because we keep our eyes on Jesus. I think we actually become less, when we do that, we become less consumed with ourselves and the differences of those around us, and, and we become more consumed with Jesus and how he would have us respond and show his glory, his infinite beauty and worth. You and I are called to live out that glory so that when people look at us, we reflect Jesus. God's glory is revealed in relationship with Jesus first and then with humanity. If we, who claim to know Jesus and know and live and embrace his glory, live out the glory of God and are unified because of it, what does that say about God to those in the world who are looking around at us? We live in a world where people are looking and craving for a reason to believe that God can change them and that he is relevant in their lives. People aren't disinterested in God. They want a reason to know why they should follow him. John 17 is a prayer that, that captures the beauty and worth of our God and that maybe that would be made known through our lives. If God's glory, though, has been revealed to us through Jesus, though, the reality is that it has consequences for us. One is that we are unified. That doesn't simply mean being passively 
disengaged in people's lives and just kind of letting people kind of do their own thing while we just stand back and just enjoy our little space over here. But it means actively participating and praying for people, even people that you may not know that well. And as we do that, as we become engaged with other people, maybe people that we wouldn't necessarily engage in conversation with, that others might, the second consequence is that others might see God's glory too. Not just when people come in these doors, but when we leave those doors. In Jesus' prayer, Jesus calls us to live out God's glory so that we would be unified for the explicit reason that those that don't know Jesus might come to know him. That as people within our church and people without our church, they would know that through Jesus that we're a community that loves people, that cares about them, that accepts them. That we are growing and we want to be more like Jesus. Growing to reveal the glory of God, united, relational, diverse. Let me say that one more time. That as people within, a hope is that as people within our church and people without our church, that people would know that through Jesus that you, that you are a person that loves and cares and accepts others. And that we are growing to look more like Jesus. Growing to reveal the glory of God, united, relational, and diverse. As Jesus prayed in John 17, as I said earlier, he's hours away from his death, from his murder. He's, what he's doing is he's transferring the, the role and responsibility to us to make God's glory known. He's saying, this was once my responsibility, but I'm handing the ball off to you now. We were given the Holy Spirit to know how to do that now. And so the heartbeat of this prayer in John 17 is threefold. One, it's relational on every level. Father and Jesus, Christ followers and other Christ followers and Christ followers interacting with non-Christ followers. Two, unity. Lastly, it's proclamation. The last half of verse 24 says, Then the world will know that you have sent me and I love them even as you have loved me. The key word in that verse is the word then. If you do these things, if you are unified with one another, there's a promise that's attached to it. There's a commitment that, that is being made here. There's a fruit that comes from an earlier action. If we are unified, we, make, we declare the goodness and the glory of God. Jesus is telling us that if we want to see Christ's glory seen, if we want the world to see Christ's glory seen, that we can't simply leave it up to the mountains to declare the glory of God. We can't leave it up to the universe to show off God's marvelous works. That if you and I claim to know Jesus, then the glory of God is made known to others through our unity with others as we follow Jesus. That even in the midst of our diversity, that we can agree that Christ should be glorified and we can be unified under those things. As a church, you and I, we are called to live beyond ourselves and our comfort. As a church, we are called to be unified, bringing glory to God. That in the same way that Jesus and the Father modeled it for us, we would live it out so that we could fulfill God's purpose, purposes for his kingdom. In the same way that Jesus did for God's kingdom too. So let me conclude with this, this final thought this morning. Our role isn't to get the world to conform to us, but rather our role is to be the bearers of the glory of God as the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit works in us and through us.
You are the largest contributor to revealing the glory of God in this church. Not the person beside you, not the programs we offer, you. I was so encouraged as we were praying and and hearing that heart's cry in our prayer time this morning. There's an acknowledgement and a willingness to say, yeah, I want that we as a church recognize that there's a personal ownership that we each have to, to making known the glory of God. So as we enter into the fall, as we enter into a new ministry year, as we enter into a new season of Thornhill Baptist Church, what is, my question to you is this. What is the one area that you can contribute to revealing the glory of God to this week? One area. I'm not looking for life change, life transformation. I just want one area. What is one way that you can reveal the glory of God this week? This morning, I want to conclude our time with a prayer of submission. So maybe what we could do is, if you're willing to, would you, would you open your hands? You can put your hands up if you want. That's you know, when, when the authorities call us and say freeze and, and you put up your hands, there's a form of submission, right? If you want to, you can just put them on your lap. Let that be a symbolic response of our openness to revealing the glory of God through our lives. Let's pray. God, we recognize that you are here this morning. Thank you that your glory has been revealed through your son, through your word. And so God, this morning we we turn our eyes to you and ask God that you would Help us to to experience you in a fresh way this morning. That as a church, we desire to be unified under your glory. We want it to be all about you, Jesus. Thank you that in your your last hours, you, you affirm our role in that declaration. You believe in us enough to make your glory known in this world. And you commission us to do this. To reveal you, Jesus. God, as we, as we posture ourselves open-handedly, God, would you give us a name or a face of a person this week that you want us to show Jesus to? Just one name. Just one face. God, our prayer is that you would give us the courage now to say yes and be faithful to that yes this week. That we would be relationally intentional with that that face, that name. That we would be intentional about showing the glory of God to that, na- that person. Jesus, I thank you that you love us. That you love us enough to look, to love us even in, our, in the midst of our sin. In the midst of our brokenness. Help us to do the same. 
God, we recognize that we fall short regularly. God, we come to you with open hands and ask God that your grace would fill us. Amen. I want to invite the worship team to come on up and they're going to lead us in one last song this morning.